Dallas? Am I on? Can you hear me? You can. Lovely. No, you can't. Is that better? Can you hear me now? Okay. (laughs) I'll try to keep it there. Well, hello. I'm back again at the beginning of the year to give you some hopeful words of something or other. It's the year 2020, which Jody reminded me means perfect vision. So I thought, there's got to be a sermon in there, right? So here we go. We just finished some important things, and they say hindsight's 2020, so we'll take a brief look back at what we just finished. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary. Woohoo! It's nice to be in a church with some history. Emma, this is for you. There we go. We have remembered our past and our roots, our beginning and our history. The main idea that I got from all that was that God has guided us and our leaders the whole way. We have held to the truth. We've endured several splits because of it. Members have left our fellowship to pursue temporary trends in other things. But our body has remained faithful to God's word, to outreach, to prayer, and to missions. Something else we just finished is Christmas. (laughs) And all that goes with it. Are we glad to have our homes back? Some of you are like, (laughs) have we put away the decorations? Anybody already put them away? (laughs) Some of you are like, oh man, I've got to put that on the list. Yeah. Are we a little discouraged maybe when we think about going back to work and back to school and back to regular decorations and regular music and regular food and regular exercise? (laughs) Back to the regular Oklahoma weather, whatever that is. Christmas story is rife with prophecy, foreshadowing, deep meaning. Is it a little hard to look forward to just plain old normal in the cycle of celebrations and holidays and even the church calendar? Anybody feeling maybe a little little let down after all of that big to-do since, like, Thanksgiving? We also just celebrated Jesus' first coming. Major event. Huge Lots of special things happen with his first coming that don't happen anywhere else. But his second coming hasn't happened yet. Again, huge event. Very special things happen in the description in Revelation of his second coming that you don't see anywhere else. So we've celebrated his birth, but Good Friday and Easter haven't come yet in the church calendar. We've celebrated the beginning of his life, but the rest of the story has yet to be told. We are in the meantime, the in-between time, and ain't we got fun? No? Not so much? Harder to find the fun now, maybe, than it was a few weeks ago? We have much to anticipate. But it feels like we have little to participate in at the moment by comparison. So what do we do? How are we supposed to pass the time until that day? 
Show of hands, who has taken their children on a road trip? Have you, have you come to love those four little words that children ask over and over? Say it with me. Are we there yet? If you have ever taken children on a road trip, this clip is for you. hasn't been quite like that for you. But I don't think that that's the attitude we're supposed to have about Christ's second coming, do you? Hey God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> so if that's not what we're supposed to do, what are we supposed to do in the meantime, in between time? Well, at TCF, we are pretty clear about who we are and what our mission is, our harvest fields. We know what God wants us to do, but it's easy to get distracted sometimes. Sometimes we start to wonder. Sometimes we just get discouraged by things not changing or not changing fast enough. Never been there? I want it now. Sometimes God doesn't say no. Sometimes he says not yet, and that's... That's hard. We're kind of impatient. At least we're not as patient as God is. And of course, the world doesn't help us out, does it? The world has lots of distracting things for us to get us off topic, off track, to get us impatient. You ever get angry at your microwave? I remember when I was, golly, eighth grade maybe, and we got our first microwave. How many of you remember your first microwave? Yeah. Oh, it was amazing, wasn't it? You were like, oh, 30 seconds. How? I don't even have to turn on the oven. Within a week, right? Sometimes less than that. You're angry at it for being what? Too slow. So... There's a lot of things out there that, that don't train us in the right direction spiritually. Recently, my wife and I um, got interested in uh, some personality tests. and th Those can be fun, amusing, sometimes even insightful. But something that we realized as we were digging into them, we need to be careful about who we're asking for directions. If you've ever been lost, again, road trip, um, there are some places to pull over and ask for directions, and there's some places not to pull over and ask for directions. You ever been to those? Oh, yeah. Go on down past the third tree and then take a ride at Joe Bob's house. You can't miss it. <laughs> right. Give me a map. So it's important to know to know that the people we're asking for directions know what they're telling us. It's important to go to God first. Whatever you're seeking, you need to go to him first. Whatever direction 
we need. We should go to him first. He alone knows where we're headed and what we're made for, where we're supposed to be headed. And it may not be where we think we're supposed to be headed. My own father's um, professional journey has taught me a lot about God and direction. My father's bachelor's degree was in political science. And then he got saved. And he went to ORU, got his master's in biblical literature. Political science, biblical literature. Not real easy to blend those two together, is it? (laughs) Then he becomes the registrar at ORU. He works in the registrar office for eight years not really using his biblical literature degree. So we got political science, we got biblical literature, we got registrar. Not really seeing where those are going to connect. Then he gets his doctorate in college administration. And we move out of state. Uh, We went first to Muskogee. He was the registrar at Bacon College for two years. Then we moved to Arizona, where he, in a natural progression, became the principal of a Christian high school. Do you see any kind of connecting thread running through any of these things? Because I didn't. So I was looking at all these seemingly unconnected, very different skill set things in my dad's life. And after that, God put him in a place where he needed every one of them. He became a professor at ORU. Got to teach classes that dealt with biblical literature. Got to help students figure out which classes to take, like a registrar. Got to help with the uh, Christian ed major because he'd been a principal at a Christian high school. And he got to navigate changing leadership at ORU and got to use his political science degree. (laughs) So every time I get to wondering, Lord, how... These things are not connected. This doesn't look like it's helping get me where you say I'm supposed to go. Things don't look like they're lining up here. What's the deal? I'm reminded that we don't have to see that they're lined up. We don't have to see the connection yet. God's got a plan. It works. My dad loves where he is. He's really good at it. But he wouldn't have been if he hadn't had to go through all those seemingly disconnected things first. The world will offer all kinds of options for finding direction for your life. But only God knows for sure. It's to him that we need to go first. He may direct us to some other sources, but we need to make sure it's him doing the directing. 
with regard to the direction of our church body, the world will offer information about trends and marketing and advertising, decorating and color palettes, feng shui and sittering, reinventing and rebranding. And then there's valuable information in some of these some of the time. But God cares more about our character than our clothes. He cares more about our motivation than our market audience. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Psalm 19.14. So if we know we're supposed to go to God for direction, what does the Bible have to say about the meantime in between time when maybe we ain't got fun? About the doldrums of January, February, March when the weather tends to be cold, gray, and wet and the days are short. And the only holidays are Martin Luther King Day, President's Day, and Valentine's Day. All of whom celebrate men of character who are dead now and done with having to go through the doldrums. How do we find motivation to keep going when the going gets tough? When we have to go slow. We can't make things happen as fast as we want. Grow, grow, grow. You ever planted a garden? Anybody plant a garden? It's an exercise in patience, isn't it? Patience and relentless attention. Because those weeds don't take the, the, the hint. At our house, what bothers me that I have to keep on top of are the wasps. There's three kinds of wasps at our house. There's the bluey black kind that build the mud tubes on your wall. I don't mind those because they're solitary and they leave me alone. I leave them alone. Then there's the... Um, sort of dark bluish and reddish ones that build the paper nests. I don't like those because they sting, but I found soapy water will take care of that nest really well. And it's cheap. I like that. But the kind that I have a vendetta against, and I'm sorry, but I'm not going to forgive them, is the red wasps. Because they're mean. They're just nasty. They come get you for no reason anytime you get within 15 feet of where they think they have a right to live in my house because they don't build nests on the outside. They go burrowing into my wood and building nests inside where I can't see them. So I took a clue from Edgar Allan Poe and I used plumber's putty and I block up the holes. And they don't bother me from those holes anymore. Sometimes they make new ones, but plumber's putty's not too expensive either. Anyway, how do you keep from going crazy with things like that? With your garden, with the wasps, with the weather, with... This is, this is a tough time of year to, to feel like saying, Happy New Year, isn't it? Sometimes we're not looking at happy. Sometimes we're not looking down the barrel of joyful expectation or, or new fun things coming in our lives. Sometimes we're looking down the barrel of dull maintenance. Sometimes we're looking down the barrel of I need to exercise a little more. Looking down the barrel of fasting, maybe. Maybe you're looking at having to deal with debt. Maybe you're looking at having to deal with um, changing family relationships. These are not easy things. And this is not an easy time of year to deal with anything. So, 
In thinking about all this, I was drawn to uh, the book of Luke. And you have, at the very beginning, you have the amazing birth of Christ, the dreams, the visitors, the angels, the prophecies, and all of that incredible stuff. But before we get to Jesus' baptism and the testing by Satan in the wilderness and the marriage at Cana where he starts doing miracles, before we get to all that, and after all the amazing things at his birth, there is not much in the meantime, in between time. But there is some. A couple of important things in those few passages. Luke chapter 2, verse 40 reads, The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. The grace of God was on him. Now, if you're a professional musician, when you're between gigs, what do you do? You practice, right? You practice some new stuff. You practice some old stuff. But you stay up to speed with what it is that you do. You stay sharp. You stay ready. When Jesus was between the mega events that we've described in the Gospels, he taught his disciples, he walked, he ate, he slept, and he made preparations for the next event. He often went off by himself to pray, the scripture says in several places. This is where we are, practice and preparation. Not glamorous, but vital. So we will be ready when God calls us, leads us, sends us, or brings us to the next thing. Again in Luke chapter 2, skipping to verses 49 to 52, after Jesus' very distressed parents finally locate him after days of searching. Imagine that. If you've ever been a parent and searched for a lost kid, this is, I mean, you aren't sleeping by the third day. Jesus' response to them reflects his singular focus. Why did you seek me? It's almost like he's asking, is this a trick question? Didn't you know? Didn't you realize? Wasn't it clear to you that I should be about my father's business? It's my whole purpose. That's all I'm here to do. After this, he submits to his parents. He follows them and remains subject to them as long as he is in preparation mode. This mode ends dramatically at the wedding at Cana and his mother sees it coming, which is kind of fun. But after his parents find him at the temple, when his time was not yet come, Jesus went back to doing what was said of him before in verse 40. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. There's the practice preparation thing again. Jesus was not in a hurry to grow up. I was. I couldn't wait to be older. Still can't. I'm like, I need more gray. More. I am not afraid of getting older. I mean, maybe I should be, but... I always wanted to be older. Something about respect, maybe. I don't know. Jesus wasn't bothered by time passing while he grew. He wasn't concerned when patterns and routines remained unchanged. He wasn't upset when they changed so much you couldn't predict them. Jesus trusted his Father's timing, and so should we. 
So if we're focused on gaining wisdom and favor with God and man, becoming strong in spirit, being obedient to authorities and leaders, and being about our Father's business, then we are doing what Jesus did before it was time for him to save the world. We are practicing and preparing as our Savior did, and we're in good company. We are also admonished several times in the New Testament to be alert. 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us that there is an enemy out there seeking to devour us. And in some ways, he's more aggressive in this country than he has been before. So we have to be alert and vigilant. We're in a war. If you don't remember that we're in a war, you're going to misinterpret some things. John Eldridge is fond of reminding us that uh, when you're in a war and something bad happens, you don't get upset at um, people for shooting at you because you remember you're in a war. They're going to shoot. Doesn't matter why anymore. You have to do what you're supposed to do to survive and to protect each other. So it changes how you interpret things. If you think this is supposed to be happy Christian camp all the time, then you're going to get upset at God when things happen. In Matthew 24, 25, Jesus warns us against the lies that many will believe in the last days. So it's important we know the truth. And that means you have to go back to it. Anybody else here struggle with forgetting things? Victor Borga said it best. He said, there are three things I can never remember. Four. So we have to keep practicing to remember what we need to remember. In verse 42 of Matthew and in chapter 25, 13, Jesus repeats his admonishment that we be alert because his coming will be a surprise. No man knows the day or the hour, and that drives some of us crazy. Nobody knows. Not even the Son, but the Father only. It's supposed to be a surprise. There's something about surprises that we're supposed to accept, at least when it comes to God. James 4.7 admonishes us to be clear-headed and disciplined for prayer. In Luke 12, 24, Jesus explains that where our treasure is, there our heart will also be. And in the very next verse, he says to have our lamps lit and be ready for service, to have our loins girded and ready for action as servants who wait for their master's return. So apparently, our master's return is supposed to be a treasure in our hearts. It's supposed to be something that we eagerly anticipate. Not with the, are we there yet, attitude, but with joy and confidence. Luke 21, 34, and 36 says, Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled by carousing. It is easy to carouse in this country. Probably most countries, actually. Partying and escaping and all those fun kinds of things, while they're not sinful necessarily, we have to be careful that we don't start pursuing them as an end, something to be worshipped. 
It says, uh, not dulled by carousing, drunkenness, or worries of life. Anybody else struggle with worries? It's hard to throw those things off. My wife and I have a saying, pitch the junk mail. There's a lot of junk mail, spiritually speaking, mentally speaking. All you have to do is go to any kind of internet search engine. All the junk mail you could ever want for the rest of your life, right there at the click of a button. You've got to pitch the junk mail. You can't keep that stuff around thinking maybe I'll get back. No. Throw it off. God doesn't call us to a distracted life. He calls us to a focused one. Continuing verse 34 of Luke 21, that day will come upon you unexpectedly like a trap. You won't see it coming. But be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And then Matthew chapter 13, verses 7 and 22, the parable of the sower. Jesus talks about those seeds planted where the weeds grow. It says, the worries of this age and the seduction of wealth are what choke the word. Back to worries again. Worry is a bad thing for us. And it's so easy to slip into if we forget that we're the children of an almighty God who's not worried. Pastor Craig Rochelle of Life Church used to say, God runs the world with his feet propped up. And what he was trying to get at was that God's not stressed about the things we're stressed about. We get worried about so many little things that are not really the main issue. And it chokes the word and causes it to be unfruitful. We're also admonished in several places, as we remain in this world, not to grow attached to it or the things of it. I get really attached to my remote sometimes. I get attached to clothes or to food or, you know, there's all kinds of things we can get attached to in in this life. All kinds of things that we can feel our heart being drawn toward. We've got to watch that. It's not that we can't enjoy them. It's not that we shouldn't enjoy them. God blesses us with all kinds of wonderful things that he wants us to enjoy. But that doesn't mean that we put our heart on them. Sort of like that game, Pin the Tail on the Donkey. You ever played that? You ever watched kids play it? Here's a good idea. We'll take a bunch of little energetic kids who aren't concerned about each other, give them a sharp object and blindfold them and say, okay, go put it in the one place that it's okay to put it. (laughs) I don't know whose idea that was, but I'd like to talk with them. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not a good game to to try at your house, but we, we, we know where to put our heart. We know where to pin that tail. We don't need to walk around like we're blindfolded. And we don't need to be pinning it just everywhere that catches our eye. We've got to stay focused. John 2, 1 John 2.15 warns us not to love the world or its things because, in verse 17, they are all, what? Passing away. 
We learned this lesson in a very clear way this last May. We had a flood that destroyed some of the stuff in our basement. And um, I, I still remember Faith Feathers cleaning off all of my sockets one by one because of all the mud that was in them. But it, it taught us that a lot of the stuff that we lost, we really should have thrown away sooner. Anybody here think of something in your house that probably ought to be thrown away? Let's go ahead and pitch it. We don't need that kind of baggage. We don't need those kinds of things taking up space, taking up time, causing us to worry. If it's trash, throw it out. Just like the junk mail, right? You don't need to let junk mail stack up just because you haven't looked at it. You can tell by who they address it to whether you need to keep it or not, right? Resident. That's easy. Or if it's got someone else's name with your address, that's easy. Or, as sometimes happens, you end, some of your neighbors end up getting your mail, and six months later they give you letters that you're going, oh, I wonder where that went. <laughs> mm. So, we look to God for guidance. We continue to gain wisdom and pursue obedience. We stay alert and we keep our hearts free from the cares of this world. When a boat's ready to sail and the stores are laid in the hold and all the checklists are full and the crew and the passengers are on board, what's what's the next step? Say it louder. Cast off. Boat's not going anywhere until you do that. There's either rope or chain or something connecting the boat to the dock so it doesn't just float away. But before you can go anywhere, you have to cast off. When you do that, the boat can move in freedom as it was meant to move. The captain directs it, the wind drives it, the water washes it. Before we can enter a new year in freedom, directed by our captain, driven by the Holy Spirit, we have to cast off. So what does the Bible tell us to cast off? found four things with which we do not need to be weighed down. We've mentioned worry already. Hebrews 12.1, cast off the sin that so easily entangles you and run with perseverance the race set before you. The casting off has to come before the running with endurance. Genesis 21.10, cast out the bondwoman and her son. And this is referenced again in Galatians 4.30. Matthew 6.14 and 15, And Luke 6, 37, both indicate that we have to forgive in order to be forgiven. And 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So we have to cast off those sins, especially the ones we enjoy. We have to throw out the lies that we have believed in our own efforts to make God's promises happen. We have to forgive and ask for forgiveness. We have to let go of worry and control and grasping for power. Those are hard to let go of. We have heard the admonishment to let go of them, but our day-to-day life sort of draws us into those things again. 
if we're not careful. The ship's not going to leave the dock unless the crew casts off the mooring lines. We will not walk in freedom unless we can cast off the sin, the lies, the worry, the right to be offended. That's hard to do. How much energy is spent, particularly on social media, just being offended? I'm offended that they spend so much time being offended on social media. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that Pharisee. So we go to our Father. We ask for his help to do for us what we cannot do in our own strength. So if you would join me in prayer as we ask the Lord to help us cast off these things as we enter the new year, that we may walk in freedom and keep step with the Spirit. Father, I pray that your Spirit would reveal to us the things that we need to let go of so that we can walk in freedom as you intended us to walk. I pray for all of us who struggle with lies, lies that we believed. Maybe we picked them up on our own. Maybe they were fed to us by someone else. But Lord, for all of us who have chosen to believe something that is not true, that is not in line with you, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal it to us, that we may cast it off, and that we may replace it with the truth. Lord, I pray for all of us who struggle with sins, perhaps even sins that we enjoy and would like to want to get rid of but aren't there yet. I pray that you would help us to cast off the sin that so easily entangles us. Lord, give us alertness to our own weakness that when we are tempted, we may realize that it is temptation, that we may remember where temptation leads, that we may plan our accidents and plan our steps and plan our actions that we may avoid the possibility of temptation. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us in that to make us sensitive to your voice when you warn us. We thank you for your forgiveness that we do not have to walk in shame Pray, Lord, for all those who have offenses that we need to forgive. And for all of us who need to ask for forgiveness. That you would provide the courage and the opportunity to do so. That you would help us to let go of the offenses that we keep in our stories. That we may tell a story of forgiveness and redemption instead. That when we speak our own stories to ourselves, we may, we may speak of you and not of those um, 
reasons that we have to be angry. That we may seek first your kingdom and not seek first to be justified or seek first to be recompensed or seek first to, to be to be uh, affirmed but that we may seek first to be gracious as you are gracious Pray also, Lord, for those of us who have worries. Those of us who are afraid not to control. Those of us who are seeking greater control and power. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to let it go. To cast it off. To remember that all power comes from you. That you provide for all of our needs in every way that you take care of your sheep, that we belong to you. Help us, Lord, to cast off worry, to cast off those things we cannot control and have tried to for so long, to cast our cares upon you. We know you care for us, that you know what matters to us, and that we can trust you with it. Help us, Lord, to keep our hands to ourselves and not to try to come take back from you those worries that we cast off. Isaiah 43.19 says, Behold, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? So now behold, new growth is taking place at TCF. Consider the changes in the new things being done at TCF in the last year or so. We have new Christians in our congregation. We have new members in our chairs we have new missionaries in the fields. We have new families in our community. We have new basic leaders, new elders, and a new praise and worship leader. And we have a new focus on TCFers of the month. I didn't realize all the new things that were going on here in the last few years until I started looking at all this. This is not a bunch of dead stumps. There's green growth. I think God's doing something. I think sometimes we see things grow so slowly that we forget what they were like before they were new. Remember before these new things happened? We are not stuck 
in mindless repetition until Christ returns. We are in a war and a love story. This is an amazing time in history. God put us here in this time for a reason. We are to be his people to our world, salt and light. Somebody said you're supposed to be salt so the people get thirsty for the living water. Love that. We're supposed to be a little bit provoking in a loving way, of course. We're supposed to get under people's skin a little bit. We are to be a city on a hill that cannot be denied or ignored. And he has promised to be with us all the way to the end. So consider these, perhaps, as resolutions for the new year. Resolved to use this life to prepare for Christ's return and the life we are to live together both now and after he returns. Resolved to take temporary things less seriously and permanent things more seriously. Resolved to forgive quickly, to escape tenaciously from the entanglements of this world, to lighten up, and not give time and energy to offenses. To make time to regularly refocus on God first, His kingdom and His righteousness, and the needs of others. My wife showed me a picture of a very large person, like very wide person, sitting on a stool that was about this wide and overhanging it severely. Stool didn't look like it was going to last all day. Underneath it is a dog lying down. And the caption said, May God give us strength like this stool and faith like this dog. <laughs> Andrew Peterson wrote a song in which he said, Give us faith to be strong Give us strength to be faithful, because life isn't long, but it's hard. Give us grace to go on, make us willing and able. Lord, give us faith to be strong. And as we end here, I'm going to have you watch a lyric video that Bill put together. Did a great job on it. It's to the Stephen Curtis Chapman song, Happy New Year. Stories being told, and the past is yet to come. 
join me in prayer. Lord, in this new year, make us ready for new. Make us ready for the new work that you are doing. Give us grace to be faithful to the work you are already doing. Though we may not lose heart, though we may not give up, give out, or give in, but that we may, by your Spirit, be faithful, even as you are faithful. That we may encourage one another even more as we see the day approaching. That as iron sharpens iron, we may sharpen one another and spur each other on to good works. It's in your name we pray. Amen.